0: Let me give you a little motto I live my life by. Bang, bang, bang the drum. Well, that's not a motto. That's that's just you saying a bunch of things.
1: It's difficult to name one favorite drummer. Right? Thanks. Wow, you're amazing, dude. Thanks. I like to play.
0: Drummers Weekly Groove Cast. Drummers Weekly Groove Test. Drummers Weekly Groove Cast. Drummers Weekly Groove Test. We are coming to you live from the newly upgraded. Studio B of the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. I'm delighted. It is a significant upgrade.
1: (laughs) I I don't believe I'll be missing the, let's see, two dogs, four cats, two nephews, one 11-year-old son, uh,
0: blah, 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 stained carpet. Man, neither nor should you I should say, let me tell you, having some sort of hardwood style floor is a game changer, my friend
1: yeah, yeah we got we got some new flooring in, and um I was real excited about it, but I was an idiot and thinking everything'd be fine while my wife is in Ireland, yeah, and I'm rehearsing and playing a bunch and. On the road, it's like, I should have probably thought
0: that out. It always happens that these home improvements and things come around during the busiest time of the year, you know? Not like you have anything else to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, we got some people coming in town. So there's a little, that was a little bit of incentive, but it's not going to be done. So,
0: you know, oh well. Well, John, in the wise words of someone, uh, the listeners will let us know who did it. It's sure. just like art, man. Art's it was never, Jack
1: Dejanette. <laughs> Art's
0: never finished. It's always abandoned. Same thing with home improvements. Man. It's never finished. You know, it's the old thing, again, of like uh, a home is a hole in the water that you throw money into. That's like the boat analogy. Exactly. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, was, I think I made a list of things like, oh, I should get this done before Wednesday. Yeah. You know, and 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 it was a pretty significant list. Just little odds and ends stuff, but it adds up or you don't have what you need and you got to go get it and blah blah blah. And then and then after the fact in my brain I couldn't shut down the other night and like 20 other things like okay, I'm not going to be able to get that done, but I better write it down. Yeah, it's crazy. And,
0: and then on top of that, just to add a little bit more to the entire thing, you were out of town over this past weekend. Yes. Well, we both were, but you had the house going and then had spouse out of town. You were out of town. The house is being worked on. Come on, man. You need a car problem now. My, my wife's
1: best friend came and hung out with our son this weekend while I was on the road. And, and uh, these guys that put the floor in unplugged our Internet, and they weren't supposed to. Oh, fun! Scrambling, trying to get it because I had never—I didn't deal with it before. We had it changed over to fiber, I think, and and sure enough, uh, her friend comes over and it's like, my worst nightmare won't be realized. Like, what's that? And like, oh, you
0: know, your internet being out. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, uh," but I fixed it before I left. So,
0: well, especially if your TV and stuff actually runs off the internet, also like if you got like like Fire Stick or Roku or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. That would have been, man, that would have been just a wonderful time to come over and hang out. Right.
1: Pay attention to this kid bouncing off the walls.
0: Oh, well, you know, be good for. It's like the Puritan days, man. She'd come over dressed like a pilgrim. (laughs) Anyway, one other quick thing that's kind of interesting about this show. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time we've done this in, Man, a while. This show's going to be one of those proverbial quick turnaround shows. We're actually doing this the week of the, the publishing of the show. So, That's been rare lately. It's been very rare. So all you folks who are into the timeliness nature of the show, you're welcome. We're getting this thing done. And also, I'll tell you this. This is happening during my favorite week of the year, John. That's what you said. Love that. Man, there's something nice about that short week of Thanksgiving. I really like it. Plus, I just, Thanksgiving's like, that's my holiday, man. That's the one I like.
1: Man, my, I know my boy. You know, down here in, in Georgia, they have the whole week off, and that seems to be a, a more common trend. But it's nice in regards to, uh, you know, if you're traveling or just the kids get a break and all that, which is awesome. But uh, we have a bunch of family coming to town, and my wife doesn't get back until Wednesday night at like 1030. Yeah, yeah. And so I found a amazing buffet up near the lake, and we're not cooking. Okay, none of that. So All right, th-
0: that makes me way more excited about Thanksgiving. Really, really appreciate that whole week off as well, because see, Georgia State's out this entire week, mm-hmm. and then I'm completely done over at Talladega. Now That's awesome. that is man, I am That's loving. That's right. That's a strange semester. Weirdo semesters. I'm not questioning it. I love it right now. Uh, So, yeah, I'm done over there, and then I've only got one more week at uh, Georgia State. So, yeah, things are are looking up, man, as far as I'm concerned. And then this week also, uh, we always do what I call the non-traditional traditional traditional Thanksgiving. Mm. It's tradition for us, but non-traditional for everybody else. We never do turkey, but we always cook. So I'm going to do a brisket, man. I'm going to smoke a brisket. So we're going to have a little barbecue Thanksgiving. For a mere...
1: $20 Twenty dollars a piece into my PayPal account, <laughs> I will give you Phil's address.
0: <laughs> hey, I like that, man. If you notice oh, that there are a lot of uh, uh, podcasts that are doing that thing, to where it's not—they're not putting up a paywall, they're not doing a Patreon, but they're doing like uh, the PayPal accounts. Just like if you want to—if you want to contribute donate. to the show, if you want to donate, do that. No, 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 no. Right. Well, this would be going straight into my pocket. <laughs> well, John, today's show is um, courtesy of the listeners. All right. And, and f- a fairly recent uh, request, which a lot of times, quite honestly, we get the requests and it ends up being four or five months down the road due to the seasonal aspect of the show or just due to the fact that we got things already lined up for a while. Right. But this one came in, I guess it was probably about two, three weeks ago uh from a listener that was responding to a show that we did and you know at the end of all the shows a lot of times we'll say hey look if you got something you want us to address or naturally if you got questions you want us to answer make sure you email us and we will definitely get back to you if not even devote some time on the show and this is one I did get back to the listener but I told him I said man this suggestion that you've got for a show is is gold because I think at one time or another, you and I might have talked about doing something like this, but it but it never ended up happening. Mm-hmm. And so we got this email uh, from a listener, Tony, and he was responding to the tribute band show where our mutual friend Wayne Vire did such a great job talking about the ins and outs of working with different tribute bands. And Tony sent us an email basically saying that he was involved Uh, fairly recently or or, or got involved fairly recently with a Steely Dan tribute band. And he was having some questions and some issues about how to do this, that, or the other. And it led him to this question or led him to this topic suggestion. And I'm just going to read it right off of the email. He reached out to us um, through our website. And it's essentially this. And this is in reference to the Steely Dan tribute band that he's involved with. And he says this. He goes, Practicing with recordings versus rehearsals with real musicians is the topic suggestion. And he says, I spend hours and hours practicing on my own at home playing with records and different recordings. He says, as is always the case, when you show up for rehearsal with real humans, everything sounds and feels quite different. He says, I know this is to be expected, but it does take some adjustments to adapt to the sound of a real band playing, versus playing along with the recordings. Thanks so much for the podcast. I really enjoy what you guys do, and I hope you keep doing it for a long time to come. From Tony. That's nice. Nice, and and much appreciated. So I just emailed him back and told him a few things that I thought would be applicable, and I said, listen, buddy, your suggestion for this show is great, and I think we're going to do it sooner than later. So here we are. We're going to talk today about playing with recordings, the pros and cons of it, as opposed to playing with real people. And this is something that every single—if you pick up a pair of drumsticks, you're going to you're going to be playing with recordings. As a matter of fact, John, I would dare to say that when you say that, probably ninety-nine percent of most people end up doing that prior to uh, taking any lessons first. I I don't doubt that at all. I know I did for sure. Uh, That's all I did. Yeah. So, John, let's talk about a few of the pros, and we can sprinkle in the cons as we do this as well. And the very first thing that I want to say is that the biggest pro that I can come up with is when you start listening to records, immediately you're ear training. You are learning how to hear things. You are learning to hear the difference between a bass drum, the difference between a snare drum, hi-hat versus a crash versus a ride versus a splash. And that is invaluable because us as musicians, we have to develop our ears. And the the best example that I can say is this, is if you are on a gig or if you are on a session and somebody says, look, this is the song we're going to record or this is the song we're going to play, here it is, And you even say to them, you're like, hey, guys, I just need a moment. I'm going to put together a quick chart. And then all of a sudden there's a bewilderment on the face of the leader or the producer or whoever. And they say, well, how long is it going to take for you to put this chart together? And you say, well, how long is the song? And they go, four minutes and 15 seconds. And you go, well, probably four minutes and 15 seconds is how long it will take me to do the chart. Because essentially what ends up happening is you listen to the demo, And if you've been doing this for a little while, you know what these grooves and what these things sound like. And essentially what you're doing is you're putting together a chart as the music goes in real time. You're making notes of bars and beats where the changes are in groove, where the changes are as far as like just the form of the song and therefore you're done. So the ear training aspect of playing along with recordings is absolutely a must. It's invaluable. Agreed um some some
1: things I think that are, are advantageous to playing along with a record is feel and placement of a world-class player why it's happening but as you get into that and and uh you know play along with it I think that really is another form of training in that oh this this feel typically you want to lay back the snare drum a little bit or this needs a little more drive and that kind of thing. And you're inherently picking that up because you're playing along with incredible musicians. You, and and you're really kind of, that's just sort of becoming part of your DNA, I guess.
0: That feel aspect that you're talking about is one of those things that if you're not acutely aware of it, like in other words, if, it's, if you're a beginner, mm-hmm. you're almost picking that up subliminally. Right, which is great. Which is fantastic. Because sometimes you retain better than
1: you know, analytical oh, overthinking yeah. and, and what have you. So Yeah,
0: it's, it's as you mentioned, let's say you're playing along with this recording. Well, ideally what you want to try to do is you want to try to play on top of it, right? Because one of the quick cons I'll sprinkle in is you have to be really careful when you're working with a recording that you're not being led by it Mm-hmm. so to speak in other words don't let yourself be drug along right. by this recording don't be dependent on this thing just pulling you through so if you're going to be doing it correctly you're going to try to be playing relatively on top of the the things that are being played on the recording such as the snare drum and the bass drum yeah. and whatnot try to and then naturally you would kind of subliminally cop that feel you know another thing that's kind of interesting about it john is The astute listener, if you're listening to it, will also probably try to cop the overall just volume hierarchy, so to speak. In other words, like you wouldn't want... On a traditional pop recording, if the hi-hat is mixed down, you wouldn't want it to be something that's this big, open, splashy, loud thing that's overriding your snare drum and your bass drum. So you might overall get a good volume balance and just an overall kit balance in the way this song's supposed to sound as well. So that's another thing you can kind of weave into that entire thing.
1: There's also, I I, I thought about this earlier, but you know, we've talked in the past about muscle memory and flow and motion. Yeah. And I think you might just sort of by default pick up on some of that playing along to these records because you, you know, you're not most in most cases, Steely Dan especially, mm-hmm. you're not being pushed and pulled, you're not being, you know, uh you know, there's not some guitar part that's just rushing madly and affecting it. So you, you're, you're, in a sense, getting that whole motion and flow thing together. Even if you're not thinking about it, that's happening because you're playing with a definitive, solid, you know, locked-in recording. And I, I've always found that that motion and that, you know, physical aspect of it and really where it becomes second nature is is a big part of in turn transitioning to what we're going to talk about, which is playing with other musicians.
0: It, exactly. And if you do get to the point to where you are aware of it, That's even just a bonus on top of it because, like you said, the whole thing is is there's so much subliminal that's going on whenever you're working on this sort of stuff that if you can then bring some of this stuff to your attention, it can kind of spill over into the other things that you're doing as well because you and I have talked I don't know how many times about whether you're on a gig, whether you're practicing – you know for a fact that you're doing well if you're aware of your emotions it's just like hey look I can I'm laying into this thing my my emotions are good I'm very consistent with it everything is is feeling good whenever I do it if you can lay back into that and you can fall back into it and realize that if nothing else if nothing else is going on I know that at least that I'm feeling right, the motions that I'm making with my hands, motions that I'm making with my feet, my posture, all this stuff, it all comes together. I know that at least I'm playing well within myself. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's a massive positive. And if you can kind of subliminally get that going and then be aware of it at a later time, man, you're going to be in pretty good shape. No kidding. Yeah. John, another thing that I think is important is that if you spend some time playing with recordings, you get good at a couple of things when it comes to, to learning song forms. Okay, And what I mean by that is, is, of course, you're going to learn the song form of the recording that you're learning to. But let me tell you, I think that you can blow this thing up and it can be a little bit more of a global experience. And what I mean by that is this. One of the things that's incredibly important and this doesn't even matter, man, if you're playing drum set or if you're playing timpani, if you're playing vibes. But if you can get good at hearing traditional like four and eight bar phrases, that's going to carry over into other styles and other songs that you're learning. And I think that if you can learn that whole thing of like, OK, this is a typical song that has an eight bar verse. That it's going to then kind of resolve and go into a chorus. And then that chorus is going to be 16 bars. And it's going to feel like it's going to resolve into this next verse. And so on. That the aspect of learning these common song forms and these common verse links, common chorus links, common bridge links. these type, This type of thing is something that's going to suit you well over your career. Because how many times... Have you been in a situation where you've had to play a song that you don't really know, mm-hmm. or you've had to play a brand new song? And again, let's go, let's go back to the charting aspect of something. You can anticipate, most definitely. Yeah, yeah you where get this thrown is on going.
1: occasion mm-hmm. because singer songwriters say, "I need a ninth bar to get my words in." Right. But other than that, you're right. Yeah,
0: it, but you know, there's even but, times you, you could, know
1: pre-producer you could, where he says, "No, that's that's not important.
0: We're going to make this an eight bar phrase." It could happen. It could happen. But sometimes you can get to the a point to where you it can. It has happened. <laughs> you can. You can actually feel the nine bar. You can almost sometimes feel when that's coming. That's true. Yeah, that whole thing of playing playing with records is really good for developing that whole sense of of feel and anticipation for the form of a song. Because
1: great. that's that, a great
0: point. Yeah. Well, you know, we're we're big on the whole thing of experience and musical depth. Because you and I have said time and time again that it doesn't take long when you're on a gig when to, to, that you can feel out other musician, musicians and you can kind of see that this person's overall, uh, their ability to kind of roll with it or their ability to, to anticipate this kind of thing may not be as good as this person over here, that their instincts might not be quietly as quietly sharply honed. In other words, may not have quite as much experience. But when you do find those people that have those innate instincts that's been built up though as well been kind of honed by some some good practical listening and playing man let me tell you that's really where the magic happens amen and and might as well say that these people that are on these recordings as well especially like for example steely dan these these very well respected very well seasoned musicians that they always use they're going to have that in droves No question. It's what's going to make that stuff sound and feel good. And then just the other thing, John, that kind of goes hand-in-hand with it, you are going to learn some grooves. Parts, fills, Mm -hmm. subtleties, if you're doing your job right. Take a perfect prototypical example, man. How many times are we on gigs? And it doesn't even have to be this style of music. But how many times on gigs do you play either a Benny Benjamin fill or a Pistol Allen fill. Those fills from those Motown drummers are ubiquitous. They could go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah we should probably be giving them a percentage of our pay. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And the same thing with these these grooves, whether it's like a typical Ringo-style groove or a you know Uriel Jones groove or Al Jackson groove. Any of these grooves, man, you learn these things. You learn how they feel. You mm-hmm. learn how they fit within different styles. And if you're practicing with those MP threes and trying to cop those those grooves, you're going or learn those feels, you're going to get those grooves is what I'm saying. Right. Kind of learn how to massage that hi hat certain ways, whether it's that sort of it's an eighth note pattern, but whether it's kind of got that accented lope on the quarter notes, yeah. or if it's more of like that Al Jackson, it's like, hey man, these are eighth notes. And I'm every gonna, one of them. Yeah. I'm going to articulate those eighth notes. So the groove aspect of it is invaluable as well. Most definitely.
1: And 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 to your point, you know, if you're looking at it as almost a transcription, if you will, you know, we are, when we have a lot of tunes to learn, or or just if you're indifferent about a tune, sometimes we're guilty of being like, yeah, I got the vibe. You know, it's like when you're playing along the record, you're not getting the vibe, you're learning the part. Right. And Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, there's a a split camp with that. Like, ah, why should I have to play, you know, what the part is? And there's another part, like, that part was pretty perfect, and Quincy Jones asked the drummer to play it for a reason. Who are you to question it? You know, those camps argue. But nonetheless, um, you you definitely, uh, you have to, just learn to uh, respect that as you're doing it. The, the process of putting songs together and learn you know, you're learning like you're talking about phrasing or what have you, but the specific parts as well. Um, I, I think it's invaluable to learn a song verbatim if you're doing a Sealy Dan thing, for example. And then if you want to open up on some things, that's cool. I mean, they've done it. Dennis... Chambers did it, yeah. Significant um, on a significant amount of tunes on his live Steely Dan stuff. He took liberties, but he also could probably play note for note.
0: John, here's a little real world riff for you that you jogged my memory on something that happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, Uh, that's not really anything to brag about. man. I was was thinking (laughs) of saying 15 years ago. No, no, but. Well, let me, to, to, to say that it's somewhat impressive is that you and I were both out of town this weekend and then we did a gig. We also did gigs yesterday and we, I have enough mental facility to remember a conversation that I had yesterday. How's that? Pretty- because this person also, the name will be withheld to protect the identities of the innocent here, is that he was out of town as well this past weekend. And he was in Alabama, down near uh, Mobile, and he was on a gig with a sub drummer, and this sub drummer was not nearly as familiar with the typical genres of music as he should have been. And I'm just going to say that to be quite nice. And you can bet you can bet your Thanksgiving buffet, John. That if you're going to be playing. It's not up for negotiation. That if you're going to be playing in Alabama, what's the one song that's going to get called? Uh, Georgia. <laughs> <Ray> <laughs> like Charles. Like you would play along. Mississippi by Bob Dylan. Mississippi Queen by Mountain. Yeah. Uh, so Sweet Home Alabama was called. Oh. And. This is going to be painful. It is going to be painful. I mean, just
1: the fact that he had to play it, poor
0: guy. Yeah. Well, it's it starts off with the guitar player, of course, playing the riff. And he played the riff, and he played it where it should be, played it with the right feel and whatnot. He said that within four bars, uh, the tempo got bumped up a minimum of eight ten BPM, and it kind of devolved into a funk style groove with like with like ghosted notes and overly syncopated bass drum, which as you know, that groove does not have that at all. No. So going back to the concept that you were saying of the de facto transcribing, so to speak, as you go along, and that if you're doing it correctly, you're copying the feel and of course the correct groove. Mm, now nah, this this didn't quite happen in that way which is
1: i was waiting for you to say he came in and was playing like double time like oh it must be country it's alabama <laughs>
0: <laughs> i, I kind of like that it, cool. yeah, well in so many ways it would have been more appropriate than than I, what he played you you' may be right yeah
1: and so naturally they've been known to double time stuff so that that's fair
0: yeah it didn't work out too too well for this guy he played yeah. his own producer and uh it didn't work out so mm, probably not getting a call again probably not i mean well, you not. would you would hope that you would know the basic groove for that tune um and also now that i've got this stream of consciousness thing going on You know, we've been talking about, like, when you do this stuff, you sort of are a de facto transcriber. Uh, One of the things that I have adopted into my teaching uh, regimen is when I have students transcribe stuff, I always make sure that they do things opposite of the way that most people transcribe. Most people transcribe now, what they do is they sit down at the computer, sit down either with the piece of staff paper or uh, notation software, And they listen, and then they transcribe, and then they get it finished. And then when they finish, they take it over to the drum set, and then they play it. Well, I learned something from Kenny Washington, man, probably 20 years ago. And he goes, people do that wrong. You're doing it backward. You need to learn it on the set first, or at least get it 90% of the way, right? Then basically just dictate it, you know, from memory interesting and well the brilliance to this is this is that you're forced to learn this thing on the drum set you're forced to actually be able to play it. whether you're whether or not you get the exact right stickings is almost not the point yet now, naturally, if you're going to really get it down, yeah, then you might want to have to you might have to go back and slow some things down and and then notate out proper stickings. But Kenny's entire thought behind the, th- this is that most people will transcribe something and then never learn how to play it on the drum set. You're so mentally exhausted from doing the work on paper mm. that a lot of times you don't have enough uh, stick intuitiveness to actually then put it on the kit. Well. If you're listening and learning to play with these MP3s, that sometimes is enough impetus to get you through to where you can learn how to play this stuff. You've got enough in you to sit down and learn how to play, whether it's signature fills, solos, or just the groove and whatnot to where you're de facto transcribing it when you're playing it. I think there's a lot of value in that. I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, I guess it depends on... For me, that would be dictated
1: by... The nature of the gig, the amount of tunes to learn. Um, you know, like I did a, a gig the other night where I had to probably learn like 15 pop tunes. Yeah. And for me, it was just easiest to just go straight. They're all simple stuff. It, is it just go modern, straight modern stuff? Yeah, is where a, yeah. it was like, you know, just clear as day, four on the floor mm-hmm. or whatever, this breakdown here, where it's, I knocked out a lot more stuff not. You know, just read it down. But something like, for example, oh, you have an audition for a Steely Dan cover band. You know, that might be a really good way to get deep into it. But with all due respect to Kenny that would not inspire my stream of consciousness but my lack of consciousness probably (laughs) it sounds really that's a little more thinking than i need to get into
0: yeah well another thing that kind of resonates with me and i'm going to throw this guy's name out here he's a controversial dude but his playing is not to be denied and if you subscribe to his social media channels it's there's more than enough reason to subscribe due to the comedic factor of the things that he puts out. It's uh, Mike Clark. <laughs> mm-hmm. You swallowed extra hard, man. <laughs> Whenever I said that. but I thought you were going to say Tommy. You know, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> the warrior. Yeah. Uh, Mike made a post about, I guess it was probably a year or two years ago that was this, really kind of a, a poignant and practical thing when it came to transcriptions and I, and I'll tell you what it was in reference to. did you ever see that unbelievably amazing ridiculously amazing video that's probably about five minutes long of this Italian drummer that transcribed I don't I can't even begin to say how long this thing was, man it was. I don't know, several hundred measures of Tony Williams off of Four and More playing, I think it was Walking and he transcribed his time playing and comping all the way into the solo that he plays on that track. And he's transcribed it and he's playing along with it in the transcriptions at the bottom of the screen. Okay, so have you seen that first off? <laughs> Your tacit answer speaks volumes. Well, Mike had posted it, okay, and he was losing his mind over how fantastic it is. But he made this kind of an interesting—I uh, guess it'd be an admission. He was like, he was like, man. He goes, it's amazing that this guy does this. But he said, all of my transcriptions that I've ever done were this thing to where I was playing along with recordings and I got it the best that I could. And he used this whole thing of like it was a cobbled together sort of uh, set of ideas from my technical toolbox of what I thought like Art Blakey was doing or like what I thought Elvin was doing or what I thought Jimmy Cobb was doing. And then he said, I learned it the best that I could. And then I ended up writing it down. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing as well, but it still kind of reinforces our point, which is, you know, when you're learning these records and you're listening to them and you're playing along with them, you're doing yourself some good as being sort of a de facto transcriber. If you're trying to get the vibe and feel of it. Agreed.
1: Yeah. That's how you should do it. Because I always take away something from, Get the the devil in the details, for lack of better terms, you know, like just a a subtle kick pattern or a hi-hat accent that makes a groove. Yeah. Whereas if you're just looking at kind of overall, like, ah, I got the vibe, those subtleties might not. But then in turn, those subtleties, I, I know, become part of my approach and vocabulary, so... Thanks, awesome drummer. You know, right? I'm glad I paid attention.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you get to that whole thing also when you're listening to these recordings of of like you're talking about these subtleties that you know if you do the best you can and if you miss kind of one little subtlety, it's not the end of the world. If you miss a second one, like you said, where you're where you're starting to gloss over some things a little bit, well, you're starting to lose some stuff, mm-hmm. and then you miss a third one where you're just saying to yourself, okay, I'm just trying to get the overall vibe. Well, chances are you miss two or three subtleties. Three subtleties ends up being one large thing. Like and, you're sucking. Yeah, That's yeah. That's pretty large. I mean, can you imagine, man, if you were trying to do like a Tower Power cover band? David Garibaldi's subtleties upon subtlety on, part, on top of subtlety. And if you end up glossing over uh things like ghost notes, accented hi-hat patterns. God.
1: You imagine trying to transcribe
0: that catalog. Yeah. No. Yeah. You no. You're you, well, you're gonna develop some ears. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah. Because <laughs>
1: 17 people are gonna point out what your ears didn't hear.
0: I'm telling you, you you can you can literally listen to something for so long that you can just kind of completely and totally miss these things. In other words, you miss the the what is it? You see you miss the trees for the forest. Forest for the, trees. <laughs> the forest for the trees. That's my new
1: thing. That that's
0: your new uh, Yeah, I,
1: I listened so much, bro. I just I I just kinda it just sort of washed away. Yeah and this, I'm so committed to learning your music. I just it just sort of I overdid it.
0: Yeah and then somebody listens to it for the first time and go, how did you miss this? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh I didn't really listen to
0: it. Yeah. And then one other thing I just want to mention that we, we don't want to gloss over this. I mean, it's, and this is one of those things you don't want to, you know, miss the forest for the trees is essentially, it's just way more fun practicing to a recording than it is just to like a click or just to yourself. Like when you're in a practice room, if you're playing to these recordings, it's definitely more fun. I mean, you've got some things that are going on when you're, when you're listening to records. No question. Like, Playing with Chuck Rainey, no kidding, man.
1: That, that's pretty awesome,
0: Abe Laboriel Jr. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, I have a quick practice tip that I'd like to impart upon everyone. And higher Chuck Rainey to, to, Chuck your Rainey house. to do the gig, yeah. <laughs> um, this is not going to be news to some people, but I realize that it will be to some because I tell every drum set student that I have this little tip and most of them will kind of go wow i never thought of this but one of the things that i like to tell everybody is when you're trying to learn particular tunes or if you're trying to learn a style or if you're trying to learn a feel or if you're trying to implement something that you've been working on out of a method book into actual real world playing and you don't want to do it at a jam session or a gig man try to find some drummerless recordings. Oh, I love it. Oh yeah. And here's the thing. It's fairly easy for the jazz musician. And what I mean by that is is we've got a nice big thick catalog of drummerless trios. That's the big one, right? Mm-hmm. Drummerless trios that will not disappoint. And boy, talk about playing with the pros, John. Ray Brown. Ray, <laughs> Ray Brown is a good one because Some of the, I made a short list of some of the ones that I have and some of the ones that I like to tell students to play to. And here's just this is a short list. This Mm -hmm. is not even the big list. So, a short list of a few good drummerless piano trios. Monty Alexander Trio records. He did a whole host of these records called Triple Treat. And it's him, Ray Brown, and Herb Ellis.
1: Yep. I got a couple of those. Yeah,
0: those are good ones. Uh, Benny Green. The piano Benny Green did a host of drummerless piano trios, and it's Christian McBride and um, Russell Malone. So, boy, that that would be a drag. Drag playing with
1: those guys. You're playing Uh, with them. Literally. You're not Mm -hmm.
0: blocking out Tony Williams. That's right. And it's gold. And after I give this list, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give everyone a bonus. Extra credit tip: If you want to do something with this as well, uh, Herb Ellis by himself has got some drummerless trio recordings. Uh, the great Tal Farlow has got a series of uh, recordings as well. Uh, then Oscar Peterson has got a few with Herb Ellis. Seems like that, that's that's a bit of a, a a theme. Herb Ellis is on quite a few of these recordings. He does well. hate drummers.
1: <laughs> he's the he's the the one that instigated all of this like
0: yeah we don't need drummers if you want to get into just a slightly more heady space bill evans uh did a, a few drummerless trios with jim hall yep and so that's a that's a good place to start and my little extra credit for you guys is this for those of y'all who have a little bit of recording savvy got a daw got some sort of way where you can edit some audio something that i've done and i've got a few of these that i will use with my students is i will take uh an mp3 i'll put it on the grid and then i will actually cut out four bar snippets where you can trade fours and so if you will spend a little time doing that and preserve the integrity of the form in other words not just randomly cut out four bar segments right but actually Fix some places, man, to where you're keeping the integrity of the form, like cut off the last four of an eight uh, of an A section, right? The last four of a bridge, etc. Mm-hmm. Maintain the integrity of the form, but leave yourself some space to where you can trade some fours or eights. There's your extra credit for the day.
1: That's going to be an extra few MP3s you have to send me. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> I,
0: on this computer right here, I have some of that Benny Green. Uh, stuff with uh christian mcbride and russell malone it's good it's yeah good. it's man. good um, i have
1: my one of my favorites is monty and ray and it might be herb um and man playing with ray is just crazy it, it's i know it really you you need to stay on your toes and swing hard or he might just stop on the recording and say get lost <laughs>
0: i no kidding,
1: man. So good. Yeah. You know, um, there is one other. you know, we got people that aren't going to want to play to a Monty Alexander record. Yeah. Listen, it's just, they're not, that's not their thing. Um, there's quite a few things on YouTube, YouTube and just, you can download play along stuff. Um, you know, karaoke version, even like some mm-hmm. of those, some of those tracks, uh, there's a significant amount. If you're in a, a tribute band, they, you know, for a couple bucks, you could download s- often well-recorded mm-hmm. and editable uh, parts. You know, when I say mm-hmm. editable, you can take the drum parts out. You can still have percussion in you. There's clicks and all that. And so right. There's there's a, an infinite amount of resources and drummerless tracks available. So it's not just because we like playing with Ray Brown, we're only talking about jazz recordings,
0: right? Well, and there's also our our friend and listener. Uh, forgive me, I can't re- can't remember his name, but he reached out to us probably eight or nine months ago. He's got that app, Drum Tracks, mm-hmm. uh, which you and I both uh, downloaded, and so there's that avenue you can go down as well. well. A lot. There's quite a few of those, I think. There's a but bunch, there, and and oftentimes they're just
1: instrumental r- jams or recordings, if you will. Right. In well, the style of or in this vibe, this, this. Feel, yeah. This
0: it's a stylistic genre. practice, right. not necessarily a exact song, song practice. Exactly. Yeah. John, before we get to our, our segment, I want to go through just, there's just a handful of things to be aware of. We'll put them on the con list of this, but we've kind of alluded a little bit to it, but I want to just explain a little bit further on mm-hmm. this. You know, we mentioned earlier about you have to be careful when you're playing to these things that you're not being led, right? And and essentially what we mean by that is when you're playing with musicians, you've got to not be scared to state the tempo. you got to be confident in your groove, confident in what you're playing. And sometimes if you do a lot of playing with MP3s and in different recordings, that can sometimes get... Lost a little bit. Right. You've got to be very confident, even when you're playing with these different recordings, that you are really stating your time. I don't want to say aggressively, but at least confidently, and make sure that when you're playing this stuff, that you're not being led by the band, whether it's the drummer or or everybody else. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that it's not nearly as much of an issue where you're playing with Steely Dan or with your, especially playing with modern recordings where. Everything is done just perfectly to a click. But you do have to be careful sometimes when you're playing with classic rock, old hard rock, old metal, that there absolutely are recordings that quite honestly, time's bad. Sometimes just the overall feel is not great. You might love the tune and that's completely and totally fine. But you might end up practicing some bad habits, and if you get into a situation where you have to play with some musicians and they're playing those tunes, unless they are completely and totally on board with basically being a tribute band and kind of following the the whims of the tempos going up and down and whatnot, and you might be in trouble <laughs> because they might be expecting you to state this time in a more contemporary, right, a, a good fashion as opposed to okay now all of a sudden we're going to this course and we're going to rush like crazy and then pull back and drag on the verses which that happens often yeah that happens so you do have to be aware of that
1: yeah i agree and the other part is um when you're playing with other musicians you know uh, going back to a steely dan tribute band just because that seems to be the a template right now yeah we've, we've referenced um you know, you're talking about the best musicians on the planet are recording these things and playing difficult and you know well thought out parts and and there's a good chance that when you get together with some people, they might not have that all together, or maybe they know the part but they can't play it in the pocket or whatever. And these things are uh, are, are gonna be they're gonna make it they can make it difficult versus playing to a record you know Mm -hmm. the opposite of a classic rock tune that's rushing and dragging locked down steely dan recording and it's like effortless to play to because it's locked down and perfect but my point is um you know use some use some common sense like uh I think in the Steely Dan thing, you know, like you su- suggest, hey, why don't we try playing with a click, or at least mm-hmm. I will. And and that might really bring together some some of the cohesiveness that's vital to that music. And it also kind of allows you to not be push and pulled mm-hmm. on, some, on some things that, you know, Bernard Purdy's Shuffle, that doesn't need to be push and pull, man. That needs to just be seamless and uh-huh. beautiful like Bernard plays it. So there's some things you can do to remedy the imperfection of playing with other musicians. And sometimes it quite frankly it's just if someone doesn't know a part, yeah. Their time might be all over the place and all that too. So, you know, try to try to go in prepared to help that process along.
0: Instead of mentally and conceptually setting up your bandmates to fail. yeah. <laughs> but man, it, it
1: really is. Um, a lot of times it's on us to, you know, dictate some of that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know? to, to, to kind of finish up what you're saying, sometimes as well when you're listening to these studio perfect productions the sounds of even the other instruments much less the playing of the players but the sounds that you're accustomed to can also set you up in a weird way not necessarily to fail but to question that what's going on also right. so you have to also be careful from that standpoint that you know you're sitting there playing with the last steely dan record that was recorded you know 10 15 years ago where it's just pristine studio quality where every single instrument sounds at its optimal sound and then you get into a garage or into a practice room and yeah uh, uh, the guitar player doesn't have a uh, what's that hundred thousand dollar ten thousand dollar train wreck amp that john harrington recorded into and it may not sound exactly like that so the production values you have to be careful also that you don't set set yourself up to fail
1: well i think also when you're talking about music that elaborate, there may be parts that aren't going to be covered even. True and, that. And don't let that throw you, you know. Yeah. You are locked into this second, you know, muted guitar, single note thing that in the grand scheme of things isn't going to be able to be pulled off with right. six people or whatever, you know. Just you got you to gotta be prepared for being flexible in that regard too
0: one last thing i want to mention and this is a a con and this might be one of the more important things that i learned when you are playing with recordings and we've talked about all the various pitfalls but a lot of it can be attributed to this final thing is you have to be very very careful that when you are playing along with a recording that you are also listening to yourself because if you are kind of lost in the music and you're just kind of playing along with it, that's where a lot of these different cons can start to creep in. Like in other words, you might be getting led by the music or you might be this your groove may not be as steady as you think it is. You might be rushing your bass drum on this. It's kind of getting lost in the entire translation just because
1: the authoritative nature of what you need to be doing. Yes is a good, another part of it, too.
0: Yeah, I, I learned that, man, from several different things. And it, primarily, you always learn this stuff after you have a recording that comes back, right? If you've recorded yourself or if it's a board tape or something like that, and these little anomalies might might creep into your playing. And that's I, I've made it a, a real point to make sure that whenever I'm either playing to a recording or playing with a sequence or, or whatnot, that I am very locked in To what I'm playing now not from the standpoint that that's the only thing that I'm listening to but I've got to make sure that I portion out my listening in a certain certain method that I've got to make sure that I'm playing in time and in feel with myself first and make sure that what I'm doing is sounding good and is fitting properly within the group as a whole before I start listening to individual players so intently. And so, yeah, if you can get that going, that in itself will kind of cure several of the cons that we've talked about.
1: Right. I agree.
0: One last thing, and it comes with the recording aspect of things, is if you are going to play with some drummerless recordings, and we've already discussed that if you're going to be kind of industrious, you can do some stuff where you can edit some fours or eights into uh those tracks to to give yourself a little bit of a chance to do some soloing if you like. Record yourself along with those recordings. Just for fun. See what it sounds like. Doesn't have to be perfect recording quality. You don't have it to It might go. not be fun. <laughs> well it may not be but, fun first time or two you do it. Might be <laughs> it might be actually kind of horrifying. No doubt. Yeah. But if you can record yourself playing, like you said, with Ray Brown or Christian McBride or whoever, man, you might be onto something there. That's going to tell you the truth. <laughs> That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, John, when I mentioned it. Tell you the truth. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. I want everybody to be well aware of that come back and say, I quit drumming because I
0: played to a
1: drummerless trio record,
0: and it was awful. Well, you might have to sit down and take stock of a few things, that's for sure, you know, but if you do that, you're going to be better off in the long run. Man,
1: I mean, look, all joking aside, it's basically the opportunity to play with the best of the best, and why would you, I've never ever, like... I mean, if I had my druthers for my entire career, I'd be the worst musician on stage by miles because it's a way better place to be than the opposite.
0: Oh, you speak the truth. Yeah. You speak the truth. Well, speaking of the truth. Truth. It's time for a segment that we have not gotten to this season. Don't let me. Oh, it's one of the listeners' favorites. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And, and once again, I have foreknowledge of what... This season's tip is going to be, and I am, I'm, I'm excited for me. I'm excited for the listeners. John, I am excited for you. This one actually gives you more low end torque and more high end horsepower. That way, you can go down the track at 350 miles per hour. Drummer's Weekly Groovecast Garage. There it is.
1: Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you for not over hyping this like you <laughs> normally do, and then. The proverbial letdown and
0: sighs of disgust and there's no bitter letdown. disappointment. If I had the ability to put an applause track after the after you finish this, I would because this is a good one.
1: Well, it, it's it's cool and and it's it's not my idea, but it's a, a a good one to share that I think a number of people that don't belong to 17,000 vintage drum groups on Facebook
0: might have missed. Now, those are our listener. That's our listening base. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say this. I didn't, I wasn't aware of this. Okay. Well, um,
1: you know, this is a vintage-oriented uh, tip. Uh, one thing that I that I get frustrated about is, my, especially my Ludwig stuff, I like the look of the old mount on the shell and coming out of the bass drum or the rail mount and all that. And Me too. And uh, I equally hate the typical uh, sonic setbacks that that mounting system presents. You know, oftentimes this atom is just dead and done. And even on my. Early 70s Lubbock's like on the 12, I use a rims mount just because it's got to sound good. doesn't matter how cool it looks or how perfect and clean and mint condition it is. If it doesn't sound good, who cares? And so uh, I saw a post the other day where you're taking the bracket off the drum and you're simply putting in rubber gaskets on the two bolts uh so there's a a small amount of rubber gasket between the shell and the mount and the best things to use that i found uh are the little feet that go on the bottom of amplifiers
0: love it and by the way john quick clarification this is this is not the bolts on the inside of the shell this is no this
1: would be between the mount and the actual shell itself on the outside yes so Mm -hmm. what what it? what it uh, what what I like about those particular feet are they're a hard rubber, but not too hard. Mm-hmm. So there's some play, and you know not that you may even notice it, but there's enough that it's not like a hard piece of plastic or whatever, just kind of continuing to kill. That's really just not solving anything, this, this hard rubber. And the thing that's nice about those amp feet, and you can get them online anywhere, is they kind of have a metal insert in them to give it some – It's not just, you know, the rubber. So when you're putting your elongated bolt, which Mm -hmm. you'll need, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, find the threads. I think it's probably uh, 832 on like the Ludwig stuff. Gotcha. You'll need however much more length that that rubber gasket is, a quarter. Quarter inch inch is probably what I think, yeah. And uh, you mount that on there and all of a sudden that drum opens up. But aesthetically, it's still looking very similar to
0: how it should look. Do you generally see any gap between the actual mounting bracket and the shell, or is it the, the mounting bracket still look flush?
1: No, it, it, it's definitely off the drum. Right. But you don't have a rims mount. You don't have some altered, you know, uh, plate that was created. I've seen a lot of different ways to do it. But uh-huh. it's just a simple, clean, cheap, effective way to not have a bulky rims mount or if you don't want to do a snare drum stand which some people just don't dig
0: i don't it it, it puts my whole it puts the whole kit in a weird angle so here you go you have placement
1: on your vintage kit to where you like it if you like a a drum bass drum mounted tom but you're still getting this resonance here, and and it's it's been an age-old problem, especially with the L on a morning thing. You know, mm-hmm. we notice it less on the uh, Yamaha and even the and stuff. You can kind of find that sweet spot on the length of the protruding arm. Yeah, but uh, the L arm ones just seem to kind of choke it out, and it's just no rhyme or reason as to, uh, you know, find. Oh, move up on the L arm. No, it's, it's yes, yeah. it is what it is. So that those little rubber feet or rubber gaskets, um, are still going to give you that look, but let that drum really speak.
0: You know what I really like about this is that this is not one of these what I would call scary style modifications or scary repairs like all of a sudden you're not like okay now make sure you get the drill set perfectly over the right. shell Measure it's not three one times of those. drill yeah once, none of that. this is one of those that it might be just a hair bit labor intensive from the standpoint you got to take off drum heads and take off hardware and that sort of stuff but the actual implementation of it is once you get in there simple and really it doesn't take very much time it, it, it's
1: pretty bulletproof you, you, you can't really do much damage. Uh, side note, the annoying Ludwig 60s goal bass drum spurs. Okay. They didn't make them long enough, in my opinion, where they literally, like, the drum sits flush. They almost don't. You know, sometimes they're almost too short, depending mm-hmm. on where they drilled it. Uh, just throw on some of those pearl floor tom feet. You get that front end up a little bit. Anything like that you could use on the end of those Ludwig 60s spurs. Uh, Get that drum where it's off the ground and and going that way too, just another thing.
0: Folks, this was your bonus edition Uh, of the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast Garage. Not one, but two, two nuggets of gold. I take no credit for
1: those, but I'll be damned if I'm not gonna pass them on because they're fantastic.
0: If, man, if you didn't like the show topic, you got some gold at the end of it. That's for sure. John, those are great. Thanks, man. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. As always, reach out to us. That's how this show even happened today. We had a very industrious uh, listener reach out to us, and we got the topic for the show. You can always email us there at our website. We're at www.drummersweeklygroovecast.com. You can listen to all the shows there. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can subscribe there. You can always just contact us through those different methods of social media as well. By the way, if you subscribe to us through Apple, if you would, and it's Thanksgiving week, John, give us some thanks. We'll be thankful if you do it. We'll be very thankful if you would swing by the Drummer's Week of Groovecast page Inside of iTunes, go to that podcast page, click those five stars. It helps us out tremendously. We greatly appreciate it, and we appreciate you all. We're very thankful and grateful for your listenership. Anything else, buddy, before we uh, go cut some turkey? Um, It's possible I won't
1: address anyone before the holidays, so if I don't, um, (laughs) happy holidays to everyone we so much appreciate your listenership, your listening and locking in, and feedback and all that. One thing I will say, you know, as far as ideas, man, we have we've done a ton of shows, and ideas are not plentiful. So, well, my, especially
0: when you've done hundred and forty,
1: yeah. And and if you have an idea, please share it with us. And and man, I've had a number of ideas on that. I tell you, Phil, this is kind of stupid, but and they end up being well-received shows. Yeah. So whatever ideas you have, just throw them at us, man. We'll we'll chew the fat on anything and don't don't overthink it. You know, that might be something we haven't done. And maybe we have touched on it, I don't know, but just don't be afraid to throw some interesting Potential topics, are way.
0: we? Yeah, there's always that that, uh, that old theorem that basically says that if one person asks the question, there's something like 10 more that want to hear it. Oh, I don't doubt that. I, be, I bet it's higher. It's probably higher. So yeah, if you've got a question about something or would like for us to discuss a topic, chances are there's a bunch of other people out there that, that want to hear it as well. Wow. So
1: And again, just thanks so much for listening, man. I... I I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, how incredible uh, Phil is in heading all this up and the work he does. And um, I know it's a a great reward for him to have people really appreciate his hard work. So kudos to Phil as well. Um, I'm sort of speaking for him, but I know he feels a great deal of uh, thankfulness for people I do Paying
0: attention to us. I do, and John, I'm thankful for you too, and the new studio.
1: I mean, man, it just you know, you know,
0: I, I make you feel
1: better about how prepared you are <laughs> and the, the amount of time you put into this. So that's my that's my
0: role. I got to cut this thing off now. <laughs> all right, folks. John, did you know? We'll see you all soon. Peace. Bye bye. i